It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. And that's enough for week one. Let's move on to week two with our opening drive. It's time for the opening, the, the, the opening drive. Hey, Dan, so I think it's interesting, and this is what I said on the radio, and I think it bears getting a little bit deeper into it here. Matt Eberflus in not making more out of the Packer rivalry, uh, at least this week publicly, than he did, to me, is consistent with who he has been as a head coach. You can't be there kind of a take me as I am. I am Mr. Hits principal. I am going to be risk being, you know, the corniest coach and the coachiest of coaches and all these things. And then say that the, 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 the secret to that is in your consistent approach day in and day out being the same guy. He is the same guy. I think we have seen that. And that's been, I think, a big part of his success early on. You can't do that. And then all of a sudden change the, context and dynamic and say, well, you know what? I'm the same guy, but this game means more than the rest. I think that's understandable. If you want to go that route, you could go that route. Coaches have, we've seen it before, but I didn't mind him not making more out of Packer week than it is because I think it was consistent with who he is. It's consistent also with the roster they have now. And I mentioned in the outset that it's a very young team that needs to keep its focus grounded, but it's also a a team that has no familiarity with this rivalry either. And it was notable on Monday for Byron Pringle to be like, oh yeah, we hate the Packers. They hate us. And you're like, wait wait a second, Byron, you haven't even played in this, in this game yet. So what do you hate about them? What do they hate about you? There's so many new faces and, and, and moving parts of this that I don't think this specific game caters to that high energy rivalry approach. I think Matt is going to be consistent with being that very measured level-headed guy, but can I give you an example from my college basketball days that, that gives me a little bit of pause about this approach. There was a a coach at NC state named Herb Sendek who, who treated the rivalry with North Carolina as just another game, just another week. Right. And, and it was his approach that we just have to be grounded, grounded, grounded. Well, by the end of Herb's tenure in Raleigh, North Carolina, which, was coached by a Hall of Famer in Roy Williams and was very much into, hey, we want to keep our neighbor down and we're going to take this game as serious as any we play on the schedule other than Duke and we're going to do this. I think they ended up beating him 14 out of 16 times or something like that in Herb's tenure. And so you, if you don't bring the requisite, I don't say, you don't have to make this into more than it is, but if you don't bring the requisite juice to the party, you're not going to be able to succeed in the party. And so I, I'm a little bit worried long-term that Matt's approach, which has been very, very good for this team at this stage, is going to eventually need a little bit of livening up to keep his players' attention, if that makes sense. I think it's fair. I think it's fair. I do also, though, like you said, though, with this roster, I do think you want to be careful yeah. in, in, in building it up to be such a big deal because if you sense you might get really routed here, you don't want to destroy their confidence because you got to, he knows that this, this kind of year is developmental in, in kind of their approach. Maybe not the way he wants to look at it or admit, but you've got to go back to practice next week. And if you put so much into an early game week two, and then you lose by three touchdowns or lose even by as much as Vegas thinks that you're going to lose by difficult to regroup and say, you know what? Okay, let's go. Because I just I don't mind the approach because I, I do think that you've got to 
take the long view of this. Now, Lovey Smith came in on day one. Yeah. And he said, I want to beat Green Bay. And you know what? He beat Green Bay. I also think it's interesting, Dan, when Matt Eberflus acknowledged that when he was asked, did this come up during the job interview? And he, he said, said, no, <laughs> no. Yeah. Didn't that surprise you? A little bit, a little bit. But, you know, look, the interview process here was a little bit strange, I guess, for lack of a better word. And we will get into this in later weeks. That's a tease for our audience. But, you know, the Bears did so many Zoom interviews and Bill Polian was running it, right? Like, so Bill Polian is not asking candidates about the Bears Packers rivalry, right? He's trying to get into X's and O's and leadership and culture building and all those things. And then Ryan Poles gets here and hires Matt Eberflus within you know, 12 hours of taking the job. So I don't know if there was even time to ask him about the Packers rivalry in the time that they spent together before he hired him. Uh, you know, I, I also think that maybe Matt's approach would be different if the first game of the Packers bears rivalry in 2022 was in week 10, right. You know, maybe yeah. they played later in the season and they're further along right. in what they're trying to establish and, and the identity they're trying to carve. I just think they're still in the infant stages of, of determining who they are, that they're just trying to keep their focus there and I think it's a sensible approach now. Now again, like so, my concern is is less about the now, the September fifteenth, two thousand twenty-two, as it is about three years from now. Are you are you seeing this through the lens it needs to be seen through as you try to pursue NFC North championships, right? As you try to pursue bigger bigger goals down the road. Okay, let's zoom the lens in on this week specifically. You look at the Packers' offensive line banged up; both starting tackles could be out. We don't know. It's going to be a state of flux with the injury reports and game time decisions. They might be without an interior lineman and John Runyon Jr. The, yeah. the guy who plays guard and and does it well. So that could be three of their five offensive linemen out. Alan Lazard's coming back, but he has been injured and unavailable. We saw what the rest of the receiving core did against the Vikings, Christian Watson. They've only seen that on loop 775 times, uh, the, him dropping that pass. What do the Packers have around Aaron Rodgers, and does that make this year different than last season when they were trying to come back from a blowout in week one? Well, yeah, it does make it different because of a lot of different reasons here, David, that, that I think are worth getting into. Number one, we obviously know that Devontae Adams was traded to the Las Vegas Raiders in March. We know that Marquez Valdez-Scantling signed with the Kansas City Chiefs. But one of the things that's not being talked about as much as some of the guys we've already talked about, Nathaniel Hackett was the Packers offense coordinator for the last three years and had a really tight bond with Aaron Rodgers. And he's now in Denver. Luke Getzey was the quarterback's coach for the last three years. And he's now here in Lake Forest. They've had moving parts on the coaching staff where you've got wide receivers coach Jason Vrabel being elevated to passing game coordinator, offensive line coach Adam Stenovich being elevated to, to coordinator. Tom Clements, who Rodgers has familiarity with, comes out of retirement to be the quarterback's coach again. And so there are a lot of things moving parts that, that have kept this machine from, from getting back to the, the level of humming, running efficiency that we're used to seeing it with. Jalen Johnson on Thursday afternoon in the Bears locker room said, you can just tell Aaron's not as comfortable out there. And I love Jalen. Jalen's one of the most honest, direct guys that you're going to find in the locker room. I also thought it, it, when he said that, you're like, uh-oh, you know, don't, no, don't don't poke the bear. Don't poke no, the bear here. No, don't no, don't, don't no. do it. Don't do it because he'll wake you up in a hurry. And and and, and listen, Jalen qualified it and said he, he's still Aaron Rodgers. We expect him to make rapid improvements rather quickly. But I th also think his diagnosis is correct because you go back through that Vikings tape and you see a quarterback that doesn't have his big play, big moment guy, right? that built-in go-to guy in Devontae Adams that 
I mean, Devontae Adams scored 29 touchdowns the last two years. It's a big reason that Aaron won two MVP awards in back-to-back seasons. He's not there, and so now Aaron doesn't know who to trust. He doesn't know who to trust in his offensive line. He doesn't know who to trust in his receiving core. He's really trying to work through this, and do I think that he's going to have take you know two months to work through this? No, but may it take more than two weeks? Possibly, and in that sense, the Bears are very lucky to be catching the Packers when they're catching them. Yeah, and I think still he's going to be more than, should I say, an absentee owner of the Bears. I still think he's going to be (laughs) somebody who is very much involved in every aspect of Sunday night's game. And I would be surprised if he struggles. Now you have to try to, you take certain things away and you have to try to make sure that you tackle and keep everything in front of you and all the fundamentally things, fundamental things that are, that are true with defensive football teams. But I still think that Aaron Rodgers is, is going to try to avoid however, and he's still the two-time MVP in two two bad games in a row, I just have a hard time envisioning him having two bad games in a row. And I do think they're not going to come out, though, and they're going to set up his passing game by establishing the run. And it's going to be a point of emphasis, and he said it this week, and I don't think he's trying to mislead anybody. I think that Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon are going to be the keys to unlocking the passing game for the Packers this week because of how the Bears are going to have to devote resources and be, you know, be caught into this whole run play action passing game potentially, but they're going to have to stop the run first and foremost. I'm with you on that. And we'll have more on that in, in our game breakdown segment in a couple minutes. I think that Aaron uh, ha- has also been very open in saying, look, like I, I understand that it's going to take time with some of these young receivers, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, obviously Sammy Watkins comes over uh, and is a newcomer as well. And even though he's a veteran, you still got to figure things out, right. And go through that. And so I think Aaron said something to the effect of like, these guys are going to make a lot of mistakes, but it's the ones, you know, who make less of them who are going to get more opportunities or something to that extent. And so he's got to feel that out on the fly here. Right. And, and, and he, you gotta, you know, have a feel for trust. And obviously he had a, a innate trust in Devonte Adams, which was to me, some of the most, fun to watch if you're really into x's and o's football genius like watching those two guys operate was football porn to be honest with you and 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 it's not there anymore for him and so now he's got to figure out where do i find another guy where do i find trust that helps me work on this level one other thing about that vikings game sunday david is is rogers turned the ball over two times and they were two very uncharacteristic turnovers and so if you are a, a harsh critic you look at that and you see evidence of a guy who's pressing because he knows the deficiencies of the guys around him and when you get a quarter back to start pressing it's very dangerous and yeah. so if the bears can 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 force him into some of those pressing situations maybe they got a chance it's a good point watching Devonte adams too it's awesome you, if you appreciate the route tree and the way that receivers set things up i mean you just you, you not you miss seeing Devonte adams in a packer uniform but i love watched i loved watching him because he was so technically sound but yes. physically explosive and he had the best of both worlds. So I think that's a good point. You know, I said this morning that his absence, I said this week on the radio on, on the Mullion Haw show and, and people pushed back and, and it was, I wasn't trying to make, say something that was a hot take. I wasn't trying to even say something to, you know, be provocative. I really believe though, objectively, when you look at the bears receiving core and what they have accomplished and then with the number one in Darnell Mooney, and you look at the Packers receiving core and the number one being Alan Lazard, yeah. who, who has topped out at 40 catches, and a lot of other guys who I think aren't at the different stages of their careers. Some guys are unproven. Some guys are kind of maybe washed out. I think the Bears' receiving core objectively might be better than the Packers. 
it's a hard leap for me to make, but I'm also not going to push back on it strongly because I don't think either one of them is is established uh, very well. I, I, right. right. I mean, like Sammy Watkins has got some good history to him. Uh, the Bears went after him in free agency the year that they they ended up signing Allen Robinson. And and so there's a track record there. But boy, I I mean, neither receiving core is one that looks like a championship receiving core. Now, Luke Getze told us today that, that Aaron's got a way of taking – you know, developing receivers and making them better just strictly with accuracy, right? Putting the ball right where it needs to be to be caught. He did that for Christian Watson on his first play in the NFL and Christian Watson blew it, right? He just dropped a 75 yard touchdown pass and that's 75 yards and seven points. You'll never get back. And it obviously was the the sort of uh, watershed moment for the Packers in week one that everyone points to as an example of, of how sharp their growing pains are going to be. Uh, it, it's interesting. I, I mean, if you put a poll on there and who's got the better receiving core uh, and you, and you, put it out to the league i'd be interested to see where, where it would come back at i think it'd be very provincial obviously i think if you no ask talent, uh, talent evaluators i'd be very curious to see how much uh, they think that that cobb and watkins have left right i'm curious to see the draft grades and the potential of guys like christian watson because and also with the bears you know I, valus jones is, is unlikely to play he's got to get healthy before you can count on him but you have pringle and you have pettis guys who are you know, in their second teams getting second opportunities, bigger roles, and maybe they're going to be able to seize those opportunities. I don't know. And maybe this is wishful thinking, but I do think that Darnell Mooney at the top of his game, Alan Lazard at the top of his game, certainly Aaron Rodgers is going to have a lot to say about that. But I think that Darnell Mooney is, is the best receiver of either core. And I guess maybe that's influencing that opinion as much as anything. Well, and Darnell's going to have to back that up, right? He, he only had one catch for eight yards in the rain-soaked opener, and there's going to be uh, better circumstances and conditions for him to, to show what he's made of. Darnell is going to have to take a step up this season, just given the amount of attention that's going to be paid to him, right? And there's going to be different defenses that understand that he is, in your words, the best playmaker that the Bears have in their passing game. And so uh, there's going to be a lot of X's and O's that are, are pushed his direction, daring guys like Pettis and St. Brown and, and others to to try to beat them Pringle and, and until they do you know maybe Darnell's limited a little bit so he's going to have to step up through that at times I wanted to get your thought on another uh, position debate before we move on to our predictions yeah I think after the first game you saw David Montgomery and you saw Khalil Herbert used I think Montgomery had more carries and I think Herbert was maybe more impactful in the running game and I think the styles of each runner are different enough to where they can complement each other I don't know if they're going to be like AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones but I do think they're going to be the Bears one-two punch and I and I'm curious what you think in terms of which is a better fit for this offense and and I know it's very difficult to take too much out of the first game because of the conditions almost wiped out every meaningful evaluation Mike Martz but I think that when you look at Herbert versus Montgomery, pros and cons, stylistically, do you think we're ever going to get to the point this season where the Bears rely on Herbert to get the tough yard on a big play more than they do Montgomery? I'm not sure yet. I think we need a bigger sample size to see. Obviously, Herbert averaged five yards per carry in the opener in Montgomery. He was down at about 1.7. And when Luke Getze was asked about that on Thursday, he sort of said, look, Khalil had, I think he put it as he had more presentations, which was, look, there were some holes there for him to get through it. David did not have, right? And so not all uh, comparisons are apples to oranges when you got a guy who's who's getting hit two yards deep in the backfield and another guy who's got a, a hole to hit and he hits it and he bursts through it and he gets big yardage. Uh, Getze 
Casey sort of singled out the 16-yard reception that Montgomery had on that Jenny Finch softball pitch that Justin Fields <laughs> threw him in the backfield in the first half and said, look, he made five or six guys miss. And then it was a screenplay that nobody on the Bears blocked right. And, and nobody was touched uh, on the 49ers defense. And Montgomery still turned it in to 16 yards in a first down. So I think there is still trust there. We just need to see a bigger sample size to see kind of how each guy fits within the scheme, which guy fits in which, you know, situations within the scheme and, and how they want to operate it. Montgomery, I think, out touched Herbert 17 to nine on carries. And so uh, we'll see. We'll see Sunday where it goes. And and, and look, Luke Getzey had the experience, as you mentioned, with with Dylan and Jones and Green Bay and knows what a, a timeshare can look like productively and successfully. And so let's see if they can create that here. I love this podcast because we're going to get a reference to Jenny Finch and Herb Sendick in the first, first football segment. Only on Take the North. Only on Only Take the North. on Take the North. 